an Illyrian ruin where an ion storms are brewing, or a first contact that's a surprise attack, or an egg that just takes the steam out of Moanim. That world's a strange one. The nurse, whose love advice is all cursed or to bring. And all the drama she brings, despite her logic, it's so erotic. That world's a strange one. The floor can be lava, city floating above. Captain Captain Mattel Mattel is is looking looking for love. It could be the AOB5, where a Gorn baby kills Hammer. And everyone's in leather. Ortegas in her midriff shirt. And Orion Chef. Whose recipes hurt? Dr. Umbenga eating waffles at work. The, the entrepreneur, entrepreneur always goes to a world that's a strange one. There isn't a star in the trek because they're all here with us tonight. Welcome to the first annual Strange New Larkin Awards. That's right. The return of everyone's favorite corny excuse to gawk at the famouses is back. Welcome to hour six of our coverage of the Larkin Awards. You just saw the red carpet pre-show where extremely marginal television presenters pretended to be close friends with super famous characters from the greatest Trek family of products. And it was a little chuggy, but you put up with it so that you could pass judgment on the weird evening wear choices made by some of our favorites. Who will be presenting awards here tonight? That's right, Adam. We've got a cavalcade of familiar voices here in the Kodak Theater tonight. And the lineup at the swag booth is fairly long. It seems that everybody wants to get a commemorative midriff shirt. Very popular item this year. We couldn't afford a gifting suite at this awards show, so the celebrities are forced to pay for their own swag. Kind of astonishing. Soon we'll be presenting some of the night's most hotly anticipated awards. Who will win Best Death? Which costume will rule them all? And the question on everybody's mind, who is the drunkest Shimoda of Strange New World Season 1? We're about to find out tonight at the Strange New Larkin Awards. Wow, so exciting. Glad to be here with you tonight, Adam. Yeah. Our first award is coming right up, best performance by a puppet. But I'm just uh, I just wanted to talk to you about how great it is to be back up here on stage at the at the Kodak. I mean, it's been a long pandemic. We haven't been able to get together in person like this in such a long time. My tuxedo is fitting poorly. Yeah. Not how I remember it wearing. Yeah. <laughs> It's a little bit baggy on you these yeah. days. <laughs> Mine, kind of the opposite, a little bit tighter than I remember. <laughs> we should switch. Maybe after this first category, we can switch tuxes. Oh, yeah. Every uh, award show presenter is a fool not to do at least a couple of costume changes, right? <laughs> I mean, we're both in different ways challenging the tensile strength of this polyester. <laughs> Well, challenging my tolerance to watch their corny jokes up there in the balcony are our first presenters, Statler and Waldorf. Thank you. Thank you for having us here tonight. I uh, must have lost my tickets to a real award show. <laughs> 
We're here to present the Best Performance by a Puppet Award, something that I'm sure will help the careers of these various puppets along immensely. The nominees in this category are Buckley, the blue guy whose body is full of gorn eggs. Last time I was full of eggs, I cleared the entire theater from up here in the balcony. <laughs> Our next nominee is Baby Gorns. These Gorn babies sure do remind me of the Gorn from the original series. They remind me of that about as much as an alien xenomorph reminds me of a teddy bear. <laughs> I heard Ridley Scott calling. He wants to replace the crew with interstellar truckers. <laughs> the next nominee is Captain Angel's crab ship. This crab ship is as much a puppet as Captain Angel is a licensed therapist. <laughs> and finally, desiccated child corpse from Majalis. If this inert corpse is a qualified nominee, I may use gym sock on the floor of a teenager's bedroom. <laughs> and the winner for best performance by a puppet in season one of Strange New Worlds is Buckley. Come up here and collect your award, Buckley. Never mind, you don't speak English. Oh! <laughs> Great to see what is left of Buckley's corpse being taken up to the stage in a bag. Yeah. A bag that is, uh, has been set on a mover's dolly right. and is uh, leaking a lot of really gross goo onto the carpet here in the Kodak Theater. You know, you and I were effusive in our praise of, of the Buckley puppet. And Truly. I maintain one of the great puppets in recent Star Trek history is Buckley. I can't believe that they went to the expense of creating that puppet for a character that is in only one episode. It really staggers the mind. I've got a prediction for next year's Larkin Award show. Not going to be a repeat winner <laughs> in this category. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think that... Uh, it, it didn't seem like the Academy was really willing to side with corpses in the voting yeah. this year. I think a lot of that vote went to Buckley for the performance that kind of preceded Buckley's untimely demise. Wow. Well, the next presenter is someone I'm going to guess is going to play a big, big part in the entire award show. Maybe the award show will be about this presenter. Yeah, we've seen a lot of promotional material for the award show that really prominently featured this presenter. <laughs> kind of made it seem like it was really going to center the entire award right. show around them. But... uh yeah, they're making their way up to the stage right now. That's right. I'm back. I'm the Bajoran Artifact. I'm a recurring character. <laughs> I'm here to present the award for the best original series set design callback. Because I'm always getting called back like TOS set design. <laughs> you think these sets are going to be in every episode of every show, but they're not. The first nominee for best TOS set design callback is Angle Jeffrey's Tube. The next nominee is The Bridge. The next nominee is Engineering. The next one is a fan favorite, The Red Beds in Six Bay. And finally, and definitely not least, the final nominee is Spock's little view screen on the bridge. It looks like he's got a 
shoebox and he's looking at a solar eclipse through that thing. He could be looking at anything. Star charts, meeting notes, pornography. And the winner in the category of best set design callback is Angle Jeffrey's tube. I'm just blown away that Angle Jeffries Tube is accepting the award on their own behalf. And yeah. look at Angle Jeffries Tube coming to the stage in kind of an airstairs style truck that you see at an airport. Pretty cool. Yeah. Look at that thing. That thing is almost as cool as Angle Jeffries Tube. Oh, uh, let's quiet down. It looks like Angle Jeffries Tube is going to give a speech. Thank you so much for this award. I want to thank my agent at CAA, who's also my friend, the Academy, and the Bajoran Artifact, who I'm for sure not related to in any way. The fix wasn't in on this award. Wow, Ben, I think I'm detecting a little self-dealing here. Yeah. From the awards voters. Kind of an (laughs) ugly beginning to this award show. An award show that the Friends of DeSoto really low. They do. Almost universally. Yeah, nobody ever complains about this, and they think it's good, and they like it when we write jokes ahead of time a lot. Good and funny, the most frequent thing said about the Larkin Awards. (laughs) It is really sad to see some implication of self-dealing in an award show as previously prestigious as the Larkin Awards. (laughs) There's going to be an asterisk next to this win on the uh, Academy website. I'm just sure of it. Wow. Well, how about starting the Larkin Awards with two special guest presenters? It's not always going to be that way. Yeah. And it's a good thing, too. We're going to present this next award, you and me, Adam. That's right. Because who knows more about great eats and cool treats (laughs) than me and you? The next category, Ben, is Best Hike Meal. A category that could have a clearer name. Yeah. Of course, we're talking about, of all of the meals that Captain Pike has prepared, which one is the greatest? So many nominees in this category. Yeah, and it occurs to me that I made a lot of fun of the Orion guy on the Serene Squall in that one episode for being the cook and also the person they left in charge when Captain Angel was taking over the entrepreneur, but that's sort of what Pike's deal is, right? He's the cook and the person in charge. He's never complaining about it, though. No, he and he's good at what he does. I mean, he's good at being in charge and he's good at cooking, as is evidenced by the large number of nominations in this field. I mean, what a field. Uh, The nominees are all sitting around the room. It smells great in here. Oh, yeah. I'm going to go get myself a swag bag full of a couple of these nominees. Yeah. Grab me a plate while you're you're up there. (laughs) Oddly included in the swag of this year's award show, every nominee. Yeah. Starting with our first bin, Pasta Mama. Oh, we already had spaghetti last night. Making Pasta Mama. Just add eggs, Parmesan, lightly saute and it transforms from leftovers into something new. Pasta Mama. Wow. A a breakfast preparation that we both knew the technique for, but did not know the name of. We learned that from the show. How many dinners are you eating for breakfast, would you say? I mean, I'll, uh, I'll have pizza slice from the night before for breakfast occasionally. Wow. How about that? I don't feel like many meals for me cross the dinner breakfast 
timeline. Uh, well, speaking of breakfast, Adam, our next nominee in this category is also a breakfast. It's the other dish he creates for Captain Battelle after a night of fun in the sack. It's morning after pancakes from uh, episode one. Pancakes were good. That's right. After a night of knocking it out, one of the best breakfasts you can make. Yeah. After a night of knocking it out, surprising how gentle he is when he slides that pancake off of the spatula onto the plate. Gotta say, Ben, I've been doing a lot of things in the kitchen backhanded after seeing this scene. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of plating with the back of my hand uh. for accuracy there. You know, it occurs to me that uh, one direction that breakfast and dinner often take for me. I'm often eating breakfast for dinner. Sure. That's what I like. You know, breakfast can go toward dinner, but dinner can't go toward breakfast, is what you're saying. Breakfast for dinner, yes. Dinner for breakfast, no way. Bleh. (laughs) Ribs for dinner is the third nominee in this category, Ben. This is from the second episode of the season. This is famously the, the midriff Dinner. Right. The midriff slash dress uniform dinner. Dinner Ortega, Skedetto Horror, welcome. <laughs> dress uniform, huh? Grab a drink, I gotta deal with the ribs. This looked like a, a very uh, carb smart dinner. It was uh, a rack of ribs that Pike was brushing with some barbecue sauce. And then the only other component to the meal that we saw, as far as I could tell, was just a fresh salad. Hammer's carrots. Yeah, cut up carrots that Hammer contributed. Hammer's knife technique, a little bit concerning, but, uh, you know, you got to give everybody a job when they come over. Right. The next nominee in this category is the brunch that Captain Pike prepares for the cadets and also for Lieutenant Duke when uh, they have the combined goodbye cadets promoting Lieutenant Duke brunch. This is one of the only ones that we get a review of on screen. Laan rates this as an excellent meal when she tastes it. That's true. Oh my God, this is delicious. Told you. The only other meal we get a review of is pirate spaghetti. Kind of a number of reviews coming in for that one. And kind of a different circumstance than the other meals. It makes me wonder what chance this could possibly have against some of the more fully composed nominees in the category. Look, my crew, they need food and water. Now you take care of that. And I'll show you how a proper meal tastes, huh? What do you say? It's hard to make good food for a group as big as the pirates that were left aboard the Serene Squall, but Pike pulled it off. I've just got the envelope here. I'm uh, opening it up. Yeah, it looks like pirate spaghetti for the Serene Squall crew is what wins best Pike meal. You know, the more I think about it, the less this surprises me because the degree of difficulty is so high. We often call this doing an away game. Yeah. And also, if you combine that with a hostile audience, (laughs) the way that Pike is made to do here, I think that's an incredibly difficult combination that he rises to the occasion of. You could forgive him if he choked and made a bad meal, but he didn't. No. He did the right thing. He made it good. You know, on the other side, though, what did he have to beat? Gruel? Can you beat (laughs) Gruel in any away game, Ben? I think you could. They said that the Orion guy was bad at making Gruel, too, so the the bar was super low. Extremely low, and, I mean, I think there's going to be a lot 
of controversy about this particular winner, yeah. given the strength of the rest of the nominees. I understand why the Academy sided with Pirate Spaghetti, but yeah, I think that there will be some controversy here. And uh, oh, it looks like Pirate Spaghetti is uh, up on the stage to accept their award. Uh, thank you. Um, I'm a pirate. Oh no, Adam. It seems like uh, Pirate Spaghetti is... <laughs> A uncomfortable combination of two broad stereotypes, the pirate voice and the Italian-American voice. That's, uh, that is pretty bad stuff right there. All right, I'm gonna win. All right, pirate spaghetti, we get uh, it. You won, you won. We don't need you to say that you're gonna win when, when everybody here watched you win. Okay. Strange Pirate Spaghetti uh, has two eye patches over both meatballs. <laughs> Unclear how they ever made it to the stage. Yeah, probably used the same uh, extra sensory abilities that Hemmer used to cut up that carrot. Oh, yeah, they probably have a lot to talk about. Yeah. If one of them were still alive. Yep, but they're not. Do you think Hemmer was delicious if you had to eat him? Hmm. I mean, I'm guessing Hemmer would be kind of fishy. If you had to eat him? I think you want to cook Hemmer like ceviche uh, with a little bit of lime juice. Mm, yeah. Maybe serve him with some crackers or some chips. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, maybe yeah. like a fanned out avocado on top. Could be nice. Nothing better than some cut up Hemmer in the leche de tigre. <laughs> so delicious. All right. We have a very special category up next. It's a presenter that we... I would say is a get for this show. A presenter that's much better than this show or any of us, really. <laughs> Truly. All the way from San Francisco. Here to present the award for the character most likely to only have nine fingers when we finally see them on screen. It is Ikaru Sulu. <laughs> Hello. Thank you. Thank you for that warm welcome. <laughs> I love being in Los Angeles. It is a very short flight from my home in San Francisco. I'm here to present an award to a good friend of mine. Someone I've known for many years. Someone whose fingers I've grown very acquainted with. <laughs> A character I had a great amount of curiosity about in Strange New Worlds. The category is character most likely to have only nine fingers when we finally see them on screen. The one and only nominee and winner, Montgomery Scott. Wow, this is so exciting. This is the first nomination and first win for Montgomery Scott in the category of character most likely to have only nine fingers when we finally see them on screen. And he's taking the stage right now to accept the statue. Ah, thank you very much for this uh, really, frankly, quite touching award. Oh, it's heavier than it looks. Let me hold it in my other hand because this one's a bit weaker than the other as it were. I did lose one of my fingers in a battle and therefore uh, have had a much easier time making the Vulcan salute ever since. 
this award means so much to me and if I do appear on screen at some point in a future season of Strange New Worlds, I do hope they will honor the fact that I only have nine fingers. I'll never forget the first time I met this actor on set. <laughs> I looked down at his hands and I thought, you got a finger problem, mister? <laughs> and then you took me to your custom leather goods store where they made me a special pair of gloves that only fit me. <laughs> wow. Well, thank you, both of you. Uh, I also bought a to... pair of gloves custom made for me. Each one of the gloves had one thick finger. <laughs> and then kind of a strap that, that goes around behind. It's very interesting to see a man with a matching cape and f- one finger glove. I have to say. Wow, well, thank you both of you. Uh, such an honor to have some original series cast members here as part of our award show. That's seriously all you needed me for. You, you flew me down from San Francisco to present one category. If anything at the merch table is appealing to you, uh, obviously presenters do get 10% off. Oh, I'm seeing a lot that appeals to me around the merch table. Yeah, well, head on, head on over there, because we got to kind of roll on with the rest of the show. Oh, my. And where should I go? Should I go backstage to get my picture taken with my award, or do I just go right back to my seat from the front of the stage? I see somebody sitting down there in the seat that I was in. Is that just to make the audience look full? Like nobody got up to go to the bathroom this entire time? Nine out of ten seats are filled in the auditorium. If there's a fire in this theater, is that guy going to stay at his post? That's what I want to know. All right, guys, you gotta, you gotta get off the stage. We really do have a lot more awards to present. Are you kidding? Fire apart, then. <laughs> I'm just going to throw Scotty over my shoulder. With uh, ease security, get and security, drag him out of the stage. Get these guys out of here. This is so disrespectful. You make fun of me for losing a finger for 10 minutes, and now you're throwing me out with security and this guy with the one-finger gloves? There'd be bullshit here, Captain. Wow. Uh, Very argumentative scene out on the stage tonight, Ben. I did think it was kind of cool how the uh, orchestra started playing bagpipe music to, to play them off. Right. I mean, would you expect anything else? I think that tracks. No, it was it was a nice touch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have another guest presenter here to uh, present the category of best death animal. The nominees in this category excelled in the achievement of dying on screen. Dying on screen was my highest goal when I joined the Star Trek franchise, and yet it eluded me. I feel great envy for every nominee in this category. I wish more than anything that I could be a nominee here. Instead, I am the presenter. They gave me a list of their names on a buck slip because I could not remember this short list of character names. Instead of dying heroically on screen, Dr. Bashir 
stuck a tiny metal straw into my eye and stirred it to and fro. Ever since then, I have struggled to remember who I am or what I need to be doing. Humans have such a twisted concept of mercy. I was reset like a Nintendo Entertainment System game with no memory of my past self. And somehow, that's a better outcome than dying honorably. I do remember Dr. Bashir blowing into the hole left by his metal stick. (laughs) What was that about, you sick freak? And why does it smell like piss in here? What is that? (laughs) Oh, I get it now. A word to the wise, make sure Dr. Bashir wears a KN95 during all (laughs) procedures. You do not want to smell that guy's breath. The first nominee in the category of best death is Lieutenant Hammer, who jumps off the back of that one ship. I really wish that I could have had that opportunity. The next nominee is Buckley, the blue alien who had three Gorns shoot from his abdomen. Two of them fought with each other immediately after being born, and I envied their ability to die fighting. Buckley's death was one of great honor. The third nominee is the crewman who saved Chief Kyle by pushing him through the closing bulkhead during the ship's escape from the Gorns in Season 1, Episode 4. It is the sacrifice of a warrior. The greatest sacrifice of any given day for me is working through my lunch hour at the airport. If only I could Steve's on myself, but there are no closing bulkheads at the airport. The next nominee is the smart kid who saves everyone from falling into the lava on the Sky City planet. Literally the entire planet is of the condition that the floor is lava, and this one kid bravely sacrifices himself on behalf of his society. What a delight. If only I could plug my head into something that would eventually kill me, I would take that deal every time. I thought that's what was happening to me on Deep Space Nine, but instead, it was a simple memory wipe. What an indignity. It was not a chair. It was not a bunch of plugs. Instead, it was a recliner, a metal straw, and a doctor who smelled like urine. The next nominee is Commander Hansen of Outpost 4 in Episode 10 who is heroically blown up on screen when the entrepreneur heads toward the Romulan neutral zone. And finally, in the category of best death, Una's career. Number one is arrested at the end of this season, but her crime against the Federation is laid bare early on. She is a genetically engineered freak who has no honor. And the winner is... 
do not remember what to do right now. Oh, uh, Gern, just open that envelope that's next to the notes that you brought up on stage. And the winner is... Hammer. Wow, look at them uh, wheeling Hammer's open casket to the stage. <laughs> the, the suggestion being that, that he will actually accept the award on his own behalf. You know what? I, I think I know why, Ben. No one hmm. on the Strange New Worlds entrepreneur mentioned anything about him in the episode after his death. So I think they've gotten over it. Yeah, it seems like that didn't really hit as hard as we, one might have thought. And kind of a surprising number of posthumous awards being accepted at this yeah. strange new Larkin Awards. I, uh, I didn't see that coming, frankly. Well, we are holding the awards this year in a mortuary. <laughs> yeah, weird, weird that the Kodak Theater has been repurposed, but that's kind of one of the many things that has changed since the pandemic started. Right, yeah. You should see the kitchen area, though. <laughs> <laughs> the walk-in is really full let's just put it that way no competition for the ovens in that backstage area <laughs> Adam uh, best death was a really fun category but I have been excited all night for the category we are going to present next it is the worst society depicted in strange new worlds season one. Oh, I think I know why Ben and you're the perfect presenter for a category like this you who've maybe been the most judgmental of societies over the years. You really have a lot to say. I do. I have strong feelings about societies and how they're run. And the first nominee in this category is the shepherds. And uh, if you don't remember, these are the religious kooks who love Mohanit and they fly around after that comet forever and start fights with anyone that tries to touch it, except for they're also like, they don't make themselves obvious. So if you try to touch the comet because you don't think anybody cares about it, then they show up. They don't, you know, there's not like a bois or anything. And it's just like a religious zealotry is always bad. And it's like the people that are born on this ship just have to go along with the plan of the only destiny they have is to be shepherds and be like, make yourselves known to other people. Like if this is super sacred and important to you, don't fly around nowhere near the comet until there's already an away team down there. All right, the orchestra started playing halfway through your explanation of the first nominee, Ben. In their defense, I will say, uh, hey, there's only one rule. Don't touch their fucking comet. Can you do that? Can you maybe not touch their comet? That's all they want. Yeah. I hated that the Enterprise crew like eventually did the technically we didn't touch their comet solution to this problem because that's a bullshit solution. Boy, if you thought the shepherds were the worst society, I, I really can't imagine what you'll have to say about the Gorns. I mean, you see these people talking about being quote unquote alphas on the internet all the time these days. And the Gorns are an example of what society would look like if only people that thought in terms of alphas and betas were allowed to run things. I mean, it's disgusting. Their babies fight each other for supremacy. Yeah. The adult kill the young. They're attracted to hostility. I just couldn't think of anything worse than the Gorns, except yeah. for Xenomorphs, which, you know, is a totally different thing. Absolutely. And totally distinct are the Xenomorphs. 
I don't know, Ben. I mean, the Gorns are just trying to thrive and multiply. Maybe they're trying to raise the quality of life in their quadrant. How do they even get nominated? Do Can we even call this a society? Could you even call the thing that the blue guy was living a life? He was just wandering around with a stick. Like, at least his life was given purpose by birthing a, a bunch of baby Gorns. The blue guy is the kind of person that the Star Wars industrial complex would base an entire series around. He was defending a little girl. That's what every character in every Star Wars series does. I don't care how it happened, Ben. I think the blue guy should have been made to carry his Gorn's babies to a full term and <laughs> and deal with the consequences. <laughs> wow, Adam. Uh, you, you, really, you really do support bad societies. <laughs> You wanted me to take all the counterpoints here. <laughs> well, here I sit. Make it a good one. The next nominee in the category of worst society is the Magellans, who uh, you might remember as running a completely beautiful, safe, and thriving community high in the clouds above the floor, which is lava. You definitely don't want to... I mean, you couldn't be happy down on the lava. The lava is where you die. The acid rivers and so forth. We heard all about this in this episode. I think personally you need to do what you can to keep your city up in the clouds. The next nominee in the category of worst society is the people of Kylie 279. These are the folks whose first warp capable device was a bomb and not a propulsion system. Plus Adam... These guys play tag ball. <laughs> Look, man, I think sports plays a great role in any society. You need some recreation. You need some exercise. Look, their first warp device was a bomb. I mean, nuclear power could be turned into a bomb quite easily. And uh, look at how great nuclear power is. Nuclear power, one of the best powers. Yeah, who has that ever hurt? Good point, Adam. Yeah, I'm here to say that maybe the warp device bomb, I don't know, maybe plug some cables into it. Mm. Maybe you plug your cables into a warp bomb instead of a little kid. Uh, why not both, actually? Why not have options for power? Much in the same way <laughs> that like, you want wind and solar and clean coal, Ben. Don't forget, like, clean coal is a big part of this. This is not what the Vulcans mean when they say infinite diversity and infinite combinations, Adam. Maybe first servant kid is like the clean coal and then you've got your nuclear power and then you've got warp bomb as as like the, the third version. And then all of a sudden, like if the sun goes out or the wind stops blowing, you've got some options. Yeah. Keep digging, buddy. <laughs> uh, the final nominee in the category of worst society uh, is a late entry, but I think a pretty strong one here. It is Earth, present day. We only see this in... Uh... Pike's presentation to those folks in uh, season one, episode one, and then in the Miriam historical references peppered throughout Star Trek to our time period and our right. our place. But it is a bad one. Pretty convincing video package here, Ben. I don't have any defense for the footage we saw in that scene. Yeah, let's see how the Academy felt about this one. I'm going to open up the envelope here. Yeah, the Academy agreed with you, Adam. The worst society depicted in Star Trek is Earth present day. Wow. Dog shit society. Yeah, do better. 
hey, maybe come up with different power sources like the Kylies. Yeah. <laughs> maybe get off of big oil and maybe plug into big kid. Well, Adam, this has been an exciting award show so far, and we have a bunch more categories to present. But for now, we have a word from our sponsors. I have tried so many meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host. And I got to tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? Because I can go from what am I going to have for dinner to eating a great dinner in exactly two minutes with Factor Meals. And don't sleep on their smoothies either. I got six of these in the box this week. Mango, tropical fruit, strawberry or banana. They're all amazing. They're like meal supplements I can enjoy while I'm on the go. Head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use the code trek50 to get 50% off. Again, that's the code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. Top of the morning to ya. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in Below the Kilt Care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, it works great. Uh, trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality, and this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing, and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. 
Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. An earlier untelevised ceremony hosted by two Vicks was held at the Ramada Inn, town by the airport, honoring achievements in the sciences on Strange New Worlds. Awards for the coolest special effect, craziest techno babble, weirdest time travel mechanic, and best beeping chair were presented. Adam, we have a great back half of categories and nominees. Yeah, check out the dumper on the back of this award show. <laughs> yeah. That's the trunk space you want on a late model car. Mm-hmm. This next category, the most shippable romance for season two of Strange New Worlds, a, a season that we understand to already be in the can. So right. these hot, steamy scenes may already have been shot for all we know. Boy, this was a category of contention between me and you. Yeah. We got some pretty strong feelings about the nominees here. And kind of a lot of nominees, a lot of uh, romantic valences being set up in this series. First nominee in this category is uh, kind of a gimme. It is Spock and T'Pring. Perhaps we should perform a rebonding ritual. That seems logical. A couple that we get to live with quite a bit over the course of season one. Yeah, whose relationship, I would say, genuinely evolves and changes over the course of season one. Uh, That could also be said of the second nominee, I would say. That's right. Spock and Nurse Chapel. Mr. Spock, now you're just toying with me. That was not my intention. I've noticed. So hot. (laughs) Like a simmering heat throughout every scene, really starting from the very first scene between them. Hmm. I... I could really, the crackle of electricity between them, uh, so pronounced. It really, uh, it's so staticky, it just put my hair up on end. Mm. I was wondering why it was looking the way it's looking. I mean, I did get a haircut today, so it is is feeling a little soft, you know? Mm. Yeah, yeah. The next nominee, a pairing that I also felt just had an incredible amount of potential and sizzle upon my rewatch of the season. Nurse Chapel and Lieutenant Ortegas, the Chortegas combination that people are really excited to see what will happen between these two in season two. Maybe try that next time you're in a relationship. Try what? Being honest. Yeah, that means the relationship might get serious. So? This is an award show that really accepts all comers and, uh, Yours was the only voice in favor of this nominee in making it a nominee in this category. My voice and over 70% of the people that voted in the various online polls. Wow. Uh, just wrong. All of you. <laughs> but one one couple that feels so right up until maybe the last scene in the season is that of Pike and Captain Battelle. Sharing so many breakfasts together yeah. really suggests a frequency of nighttime hangs that makes their thing strong and good. You know, I think I missed the beard. Yeah, I, I felt like I belonged to a different era of captain. But that's what you were going for, man at a time. And also open because Pike is out, uh, you know, laying in a round bed with, with other people on other planets. It's not a serious thing. 
Captain Mattel's cool. For example, Alora, who is in the category with Pike in a second nomination, and a lot of people have speculated that Pike being nominated in two different times, like Spock, like Nurse Chapel, was going to split the vote. Right. And uh, a lot of the people that ship the Pike and Battelle relationship might be split up off of the people that ship the Pike and uh, Laura relationship. I did think about you every now and then. Yeah, me too. So kind of an interesting group of dark horse candidates in that first group of nominees. But we have two more. If you like role play, this next nominee is for you. It's Sir Adia, which is played by Ortegas, and Zamira the Huntress, which is played by Una, number one. Yeah. If we ever go back to that Elysian kingdom in season two, it did seem like they knew each other quite well. Quite well. Quite well. It's possible that a, uh, a return to that weird brain nebula could flesh out more about that part of the story. Right. And the final nominee in the category of most shippable season two romance is Dr. Mbenga and a waffle. You're going to want to try the omelet and the bacon. And the waffle. I personally wonder about a nominee between a person and an inanimate object Hmm. being in this category. I I kind of feel like it should be disqualified. This feels like kind of a, a Kevin Uxbridge and Rashawn situation. Where Rashawn is the waffle of the relationship, clearly, under so much syrup. And by syrup, I mean, like, Kevin Uxbridge's come. Kevin's coming up to the stage, and I actually didn't notice Kevin in the audience. What? Kevin's getting closer. Oh! Kevin Uxbridge just smacked the shit out of me. Keep Rashawn's name out your fucking mouth! Keep Rishan's name out your fucking mouth! I'm a man of special conscience. I regret doing what I did. (laughs) Go ahead and open the envelope. I mean, they're clearly going to give Kevin an award later on (laughs) in the show. That's what's so messed up. Yeah, that's fucked up. Are you okay, Adam? You... You really caught his hands there. You know what's amazing is I'm fine and I look fine. You look good. Do you want to uh, open the envelope and tell the people who won in this category? All right. And the winner for you're most- such a You're such a professional performer. Like, I can't believe you are still up here just maintaining your composure after something like that happened. I mean, who's going to leave the award show? Me or the person who slapped me? I, I'm gonna, I got to stay longer than that guy, right? Yeah. Wow. Really brave. And the award for most shippable S2 romance goes to Mabanga and a Waffle. Fuck you, Kevin. (laughs) You piece of shit. Amazing. It was weird because, like, when the camera cut to him while you were starting to talk about Rashawn and the syrup and everything... It looked like he thought it was funny. Yeah. And then the camera cut away, and then the camera cut back, and... I mean, it's not really Rashawn that's sitting there. It's a real doll, but some, something must have transpired between Kevin and fake Rashawn. Oh. Ow! Oh, geez. Kevin just slapped you for saying that. <laughs> Why did you do that, Kevin? I won't brook any comparison between Waffles and Rashawn. My lovely wife 
is not a breakfast confection. Jesus. I mean, nobody knew that. Nobody knew that that was a sensitive subject for you, Kevin. I do keep my wife in a freezer until I am ready to enjoy her, but that is where the comparisons end. I do not put my wife in a toaster oven to prepare her for (laughs) consumption. Anybody who tells you that is lying. I would never just use my tongue on a plate of waffles. That is not how I like to make love. (laughs) It seems like the security people that we had to come in here and escort Sulu and Scotty out are still gone. So we're just going to have to press forward and and hope that Kevin doesn't pull any more stunts. The next category here is presented by an old favorite. And uh, I do mean old, Adam. (laughs) It's the category of best kid in season one of Strange New Worlds, presented by Picard from Star Trek colon Picard. Wow, what a combination. Thank you very much. I am very old man, and uh, at the other extreme of the age of people that appear in Star Trek franchises... Uh, But it is a distinct honor to present the award for Best Kid in Season 1 of Strange New Worlds. The nominees for Best Kid are The First Servant, a child who bravely sacrifices himself to keep the power going on his planet and prevent all those buildings from falling into the lava. The next nominee is Rukia, the charming and whimsical daughter of Dr. Mbenga, who spends most of the first season in the transporter buffer before becoming a being of pure energy. The third nominee is the desiccated child's corpse (laughs) that is found in the ceremony room on Majalis and is the embodiment of what the first servant will become when he has completed his service to his society. The fourth nominee is Fig, a girl who is afraid of the Gorns, who the crew meet on Finibus 3 in episode 4. The fifth nominee is Miranda, another girl who is afraid of the Gorns, this one from episode 9, who is friends with Buckley and the only person smart enough to duck when baby gorns are bursting out of people's <laughs> chests. And the last nominee in the category of best kid is Mart, the son of the station chief who scares Pike because saving him means he'll get put into the beeping chair. And the winner in the category of best kid is the first servant. What a selfless and wonderful act. A sacrifice that protects his entire society. Something that morally I find absolutely incomprehensible, but an act of bravery on his behalf. And it looks like uh, the First Servant has recorded a pre-taped acceptance speech. We're going to throw to that now. Wow, it seems like uh, he's not super verbose ever since those wires plugged themselves into his face. 
<laughs> so it doesn't have a lot to share, but really cool that uh, he got the best kid award in this first annual yeah. Larkin Awards. It's nice to see gratitude going both ways mm. with the first servant. Truly, truly. Adam, this is uh, it's kind of weird juxtaposition, but the next category in the Larkin Awards is Worst Kid. And uh, here to present the award is Captain Potter. This award is great for me. <laughs> As a past recipient of an award in this category, I know what it takes to be the worst kid in a television series. <laughs> I have all the qualities. A sing-songy voice. An annoying affect. Kind of a smug look on my face. All the aspects that you need to be voted as worst kid. Now I'll present the nominees, now. Now, now, now. The first nominee for worst kid is the first servant. Absolutely nobody likes this kid. Because if they did, they'd never plug him into that awful machine. <laughs> the next worst kid is Rukia, a child who almost cost the lives of everyone aboard the Enterprise. <laughs> the worst children are the secret children. <laughs> next up, desiccated kid corpse. I always thought he'd last a little bit longer in that weird chair plugged into the machine. <laughs> Are you saying you didn't have a few more years? That's pretty weak. The next nominee, Fig, the girl who was afraid of gongs on Phinibus 3. Hey Fig! You could try taking one for the team there. <laughs> Maybe sacrifice your life the way the first servant did. Not that it did him any favors. He's in the category for worst kid. <laughs> Next up, Miranda. Another child who could have sacrificed her life to save more important characters in the episode. Are you saying you wouldn't trade Miranda or Fig any time if it meant bringing Duke back? Seems like a fair trade to me. And finally, the nominee for worst kid is Ma'at, the son of that station chief that scares Pike, because saving him means he'll get put in the beeping chair. Hey, Bot! If your presence clears the adults out of any room, it's safe to say you're the worst kid. <laughs> and the winner of the category for worst kid is. The First Servant! Tonight's first double winner! Wow! <laughs> so, the First Servant. Adam has also uh, submitted a video acceptance uh, for this second award. That's really remarkable. Uh, let's let's hear that now.
Wow, it's really amazing how much more desiccated he's become between accepting the last award and accepting this one. That machine, really doing its business. It's really starting to look like the kid on that gurney. I mean, it's weird, like... I mean, I guess it should surprise no one that the machine was uh, was a desiccator 5000. <laughs> I mean, you saw it stamped right on the side of that weird chair. Why did the people that set up Magellan Society make a machine called that? <laughs> I mean, it's got only one job with a name like that. Yeah. Well, the next category on our awards show tonight is Best Captain Speech in an episode, and uh, we have a really exciting presenter here for this. That's right, it's me, Captain Janeway, the expert on great captain speeches. You may not recognize me, because I am wearing yet another hairstyle. (laughs) I like to change it up, kind of a lot. This one's great when you're whipping it around during a banger, but it's also very distinguished when you're at a state dinner with a diplomat that's going to trick you and turn out to be an evil asshole. They asked me if I would be interested in presenting this category, and I said, I'll do it! The nominees in the category of Best Captain Speech can share a tub with me anytime. And the first one is the speech in which Pike says that nobody is going to die on this mission right at the beginning of season one, episode one. This mission will not be anybody's last day. The second nominee was from the very same episode, one of the rare episodes with two great captain speeches. It's go to war with each other or join the Federation speech. Hi, sorry to interrupt. I'm Christopher Pike. My world is called Earth, and though it's far from here, uh, my people and yours are uh, very much alike. The third nominee is the Starfleet Remembrance Day speech at the beginning of season one, episode four. As we honor the lives that have been given, let us also be grateful to be still on the journey. The next nominee is the This Will Be Our Finest Hour speech before they surf the black hole at the end of season one, episode four. But we do not back down. We do not give in to fear. A moment that I personally would have chosen to destroy the ship. It's right there, Captain Pike. Destroy the ship so the Gorns don't get it. You could do it very simply by saying, I'm gonna destroy the ship, but first I'm gonna run my head through my impact gelled, quaffed hair. That's nice. I'm gonna extend that little jet way off of the side of the ship. And what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna scrape the little, the little rocks going around the black hole. That's nice. And the final nominee for best captain speech is the speech Captain Pike gives while doing his best broad pirate impression at the end of season one, episode seven. Arg, me mateys. If we ever catch Angel, we should make them walk the plank, arg. And the winner 
the best speech category is the Starfleet Remembrance Day speech from the beginning of season one, episode four. A truly heartfelt and touching speech about those we have lost. Wow, yeah, one of the great speeches of the season, Ben, in a season that I kind of expected to be full of great speeches, but during the rewatch of the entire season, I was kind of delighted by how they didn't overdo that aspect to it. Yeah, it was, it was good. Um, I'm being told in my earpiece that uh, they've decided not to let a speech get on stage and give a an acceptance speech because it's just kind of like a little on the nose. That makes sense. So... Congratulations uh, to you in the audience, Starfleet Remembrance Day speech, and we've got to move on. Uh, We have another guest presenter here, presenting in the category of Best Vulcan Moment. It's Commander Tuvok from Star Trek IV. The following category is something that I know a lot about. As a Vulcan. We repress our emotions and take no pride in our advanced abilities that make humans look like complete idiots. On any given day, I will have many moments. But the best Vulcan moment nominees for season one of Strange New World include Spock mind-melding La'an so that she could remember things about the Gorn in order to help them defeat them. Another great... Vulcan moment is Spock melding Pike for his truthfulness. This helped him verify that Pike was telling the truth about traveling forward in time seven years. A third nominee is Spock and T'Pring swapping bodies in a Vulcan relationship technique that turned into a Freaky Friday episode. I am not usually a fan of hijinks. No Vulcan is. Those are never among the moments that I have. The next nominee is Spock staying at his post in the alternate timeline. He was really blown apart on that bio bed. They had to get out the green sheets and everything. He might need some time off work for the next several days. He may be working a light duty shift in the days that follow. (laughs) And the final nominee in best Vulcan moment is the moment... When Spock and T'Pring broke up with each other, only to get back together five minutes later, because it was the logical course of action. And the winner, in the category of Best Vulcan Moment. Spock and T'Pring swapping bodies. This is something that I cannot agree with. Ooh, yeah, uh, Tuvok down there looking as pissed off as a Vulcan can look. Uh, given that the Academy really kind of disagrees with what constitutes a good Vulcan moment versus a bad Vulcan moment. I think that comes down to representation, Ben. I I don't think the Academy has very many Vulcan members. Yeah, hashtag Larkin Awards, so human. Hashtag Homo Sapiens Only Club. Kind of an ugly look for the Academy and something that I do hope they will address in the future. And I mean, I think that Part of the reason that you're seeing such a dip in the download numbers of these award show episodes is how out of touch the Academy members have gotten. They're an aging, non-representative group. I am looking at the dashboard metrics for our show, Ben, and uh, just the way in which the Larkin Awards craters our metrics. (laughs) 
It's really bad. Really breathtaking. (laughs) Well, we just have a few categories left. The last one with a whole bunch of nominees, Adam. It is the category of best costume in season one of Strange New Worlds. That's right, Ben. A category full of great nominees. At least on paper, extremely difficult to pick a favorite. All of these costumes just popped off screen. And really, a season of Star Trek television that had excellent costuming throughout. Whether or not you were uh, the star of the show or a background actor, I think you could count on being in a really great costume on this season of Strange New Worlds. You really could, Adam. Uh, The first nominee for best costume is the green captain shirt variation Pike is wearing in uh, episode five. Just a beautiful color of green. Great to see the riff on a beloved Kirk uniform choice. They just looked great. Doubling up those badges. Mm-hmm. Like that a lot. Maybe one too many badges on the shirt, but uh, no costume is perfect. Hey, green captain shirt, pick a badge. <laughs> Next nominee is the monster maroon future uniform that future Pike wears in the season finale. New spin on an old favorite. That uniform, one of the best in the biz. And getting a nice little refresh for new Star Trek. A refresh that really feels like it honors the old one without making it too much of a weird future-y version. Exactly, yeah. I thought it really looked great. Yeah. Next nominee is the commander's uniform worn by the Romulan commander in the season finale, which definitely took the kind of color blocking ideas from the original series episode that Ep was based on and also updated it and made it just look really exciting and high spec and great for a uniform that wasn't in a lot of the series. You know, they they really spent on these uniforms and this is indicative of that. I think many people were surprised when this first season of Strange New Worlds went (laughs) rom-com. Next up is Nurse Chapel's white jumpsuit. Kind of a different spin on Nurse Chapel's uniform from the original series character. Yeah. Nurse Chapel wearing white this time around. Not a great color to wear in a surgical environment, maybe. (laughs) No, but uh, also felt like interesting connective tissue with the disco era uniforms. Right. And I really like that about it. It felt transitional in that way. Did. Another nominee here is Uhura's Queen Nev gown that she's wearing in the Elysian Kingdom episode. That was another one-off costume that just really pulled every single stop out and Uhura looked great wearing it. It was just way more resources and fit and finish thrown at that costume than your average one-off costume in a television show ever has gotten before. I mean, you could argue that Ahura's Queen Nev gown represents every costume in that episode because every costume was was amazingly detailed and impressive throughout. Just an amazing achievement in costuming Truly, was that episode of Strange New Worlds this season. Another nominee here. Got a lot of nominees. This one is Captain Angel's Catsuit. This is the costume that they change into toward the end of the episode right before the big reveal that they're actually the baddie and uh, kind of tips their hand a little bit, but also is just a great villain look. Truly is. I can't even imagine how long it takes to make a garment that is that intricate. 
nor can I imagine what it sounds like to walk around in, probably like <laughs> rubbing two balloons together a bunch of times. <laughs> yeah. Self-destruct Janeway would probably really think that that outfit was cool. The best costume is potentially the one you're wearing all the time, and that is the final nominee in this category. It's Pike not wearing anything, as he does for a couple of scenes this season. Yeah. When Pike is rolling around in the bed with a partner, we get to see that chest. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. Oh, Laura gets to see a lot more than we ever do. Yeah. Too bad for us. Nice for her. I think it merits a nomination in this category for sure. Adam, why don't you do the honors? Rip that envelope open. And the winner is Pike not wearing anything. A wow. true insult for the great costume design work of this first season of Strange New Worlds. Wow, an unintended insult, though. Yikes. Yeah. I think people are just so excited about seeing Anson Mount with his shirt off. That, uh, it really blinds you to all other issues. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Adam, I am really excited to present this next award. It is an honorary award that was uh, selected ahead of time. This is the honorary award for the biggest jerk-off asshole on the crew. And uh, we present it tonight to Transporter Chief Kyle. What a fucking dick. Just the worst. He's super nice to his superior officers and a total shit to his inferiors. Really makes their lives miserable. They hate working for him. Yeah. Nobody likes Chief Kyle. You can see why in every scene with him, you can just tell. Mm-hmm. It just reads, you know. Do you think the scene where Chief Kyle is saved by that crew person that sacrifices themselves, do you think they were trying to hold Chief Kyle back, but just the way it was shot and blocked was like Chief mm. Kyle in actuality was like wriggling out of being held behind? <laughs> I kind of interpreted it as this guy knew that he would have to work with Chief Kyle if he survived. Oh, right. So as a kind of final fuck you to the rest of the crew, he's like, here, you deal with him. I'm punching out. Wow. And shove Chief Kyle through the door. Wow. Well, Chief Kyle would have been on stage to accept this award, but shit talk the door people so bad that uh, he was actually not <laughs> let into the venue. Yeah. He had a, an invite and everything. But yeah, uh, yeah Chief Kyle, uh, we'll just have to put this in the mail because I don't really want to take it over to his house. Yeah. Ben, I will be presenting the next honorary Larkin Award, and it is to someone very special. A person who is maybe the MVP of the first season of Strange New Worlds. Strangely, not a category this year. <laughs> a character who really makes you feel things. And, and what, what is an actor's job, if not to make you feel? Mm. I felt a lot of things when I saw this actor on screen. Envy, <laughs> joy, fear, mm. when, when this person was in danger. Mm. Really, someone whose physical attractiveness is only bettered by their uh, acting ability. Mm. Uh, someone who I think has just a bright, bright future in Strange New Worlds and acting in general. I wouldn't be surprised to see this actor accept a much bigger award on this stage uh, around uh, January or February in the years ahead. Wow. One of the greatest actors ever. 
to be on a Star Trek show. <laughs> One of the most important characters in science fiction history. One of the most beautiful people in the world. The, uh, the orchestra is really, really working you at this point. The honorary award for handsomest and most compelling new character, I am delighted to give to Ensign Lance, played by Daniel Prefer. Wow. <laughs> Ensign Lance also denied entry to the building because nobody believed he was on Strange New World because he's so good looking. I mean, it's hard to look directly at this actor. They're so beautiful. Like, I just kind of want to avert my eyes. I mean, sometimes it's like looking into a mirror, but most of the time it's like looking at someone much, much better looking than me. Truly, truly. Well, Adam, I think we've gotten to the part of the show that everybody has been waiting for. Oh, yeah. The reason for the season, the reason we give these awards out at all is to determine the best overall, the Edwardist overall Larkin. A rich history of Edward's Larkin being given out over the years. Just look at him. But it's always on the episode by episode basis. And when we think back across the season, I think it's important to cite somebody who had a great achievement in a season spanning level of drunkenness of Shimoda. Incredible. How did you do that? I want you to do the honors, friend. Wow, my hands are shaking. I'm nervous too. Can't believe it. And the winner of Drunkest Overall Shimoda, the first season of Star Trek Strange New Worlds, is Mabenga, the Waffle King of the Entrepreneur. Wow. So many great moments with Mabenga this year. The uh, the funny hat. The, the quips between him and Nurse Chapel. Shutting the lights to get Hemmer away from his transporter buffer. The secret daughter. The willingness to give the secret daughter to an alien that he hardly knew. Divulging Una's awful nickname to her. And all those waffles throughout the season. (laughs) Just waffle after waffle for that guy. He's uh, one of the greats in the Shimoda category and a real force to be reckoned with. Mbenga would not attend the ceremony because he said, this is a bunch of silly bullshit. And, uh, you know, I mean, he's an expert in silly bullshit. So uh, we salute him from afar and uh, we hope his family as well. This has been the Larkin Awards. The Larkin Awards for Strange New World Season 1 has been a presentation of the Academy of Star Trek Arts and Sciences. The awards are voted on by Academy members and are tabulated by PricewaterhouseCooper. Promotional consideration has been provided by this week's sponsors. Accommodations were provided by Ben and Adams Houses. Stay tuned next for Priority One messages and some updates about what's coming up next on The Greatest Discovery. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on Secured Channel. Adam, we have a couple of Priority One messages here, and the first one is of a promotional nature that goes like this. Water, the wettest frontier. These are the voyages of Dicey Waters. It's five-arc mission to explore strange new islands, to seek out full sound design and weekly original music. 
to boldly go where literally no other roleplay podcast has gone before. Dice Populi is a fantasy adventure with five unique game masters in one epic campaign. Greatest Discovery guest producer Colin Ketchin delivers all the laughs, tears, and Trek references that FODs demand. A new DM has taken the helm, so dive in today. And the call to action is listen to Dice Populi anywhere you find podcasts or on DicePopuli.com. Wow, this is great. Colin Ketchin has done great guest producer work for us over the last year. Yes, indeed. And for some reason, feels like uh, ours would be a great audience to get the word out for <laughs> for his own podcast. This is great. I thought at the beginning of this message it was going to be a water podcast. Yeah. Maybe the new season is uh, is set on a boat or something. Oh, yeah. That checks out. Sometimes that happens in role-playing games. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Colin is a great hang and a super talented producer and editor. So if the sound design and original music pass through Colin's capable hands, you know it's going to be good. So definitely give it a spin if you're into role-play podcasts. <laughs> and even if you're not. Right. It's for everyone, okay? Yeah. Ben, our next priority one message is from... Ahura Nyota, and it is to Ben and Adam. The message goes like this. Your podcast is the best part of Enterprise Bingo, especially when Ben talks about Africa. But it's also why half of my crewmates get Kenyan names wrong. Fix it, please. My name is Uhura, not Ahura. The doctor is Mbenga, not Mabenga. These are real Kenyan names. Look up the current president of Kenya. Wow. You know what? I'm not above getting noted on things like this. Yeah. I think it's important to get it right. We have had a, I mean, personally, I'm someone who's famous for mispronouncing all kinds of things and using the wrong words where they shouldn't go. So it's sort of like my character, but Ben has no excuse for mispronouncing these names. I have no excuse. I've traveled extensively in East Africa and- I'm hugely humiliated that my dumb westernized brain was incapable of noticing these sounds and the way in which they're supposed to be pronounced. That sucks. You can blame me, Ben. Like, you have enough conversations with me. I'm just going to drag you down. Yeah. In pronunciation. I will say that Ahura Uhura is a really hard distinction to make just in my own mouth. Mm -hmm. And, like, I don't know that I hear everybody on the show making it perfectly. So I think that's part of why I'm so bad at it. But I, I definitely want to get better. I mean, you're definitely someone who says uh more than ooh. I say uh every other word. Right. And neither you nor your wife has said ooh even this year. <laughs> I shouldn't be talking. Neither have we over here. My wife said ooh about eight months ago. <laughs> I think that was ew. <laughs> wow well thank you uhura for that correction we appreciate being called in on that and uh, we'll do our best to improve our pronunciations i hope we remember that by the time season two rolls around yeah if you'd like to get a priority one message of a promotional or a personal nature you can head to maximumfund.org slash jumbotron. It's a hundred bucks for a personal and two hundred for a commercial message, and they are a great way to support the production of this program. Well, that was fun, Ben. Another Larkin Awards in the books, and uh, look at how yeah. long we've run. 
running long is sort of what <laughs> award shows do. Yeah. Ours is no different. Yeah. We're really eating up Jimmy Kimmel's broadcast time right now, so I feel really bad for him. Not to mention the late local news. Sure. Yeah, but they've got their whole block produced. They're just going to run it. It's Jimmy that's live. He's got to yeah. suffer the consequences, really. Yeah. Too bad for Jimmy Kimmel. Mm-hmm. But I, I do hear, hear he has Mbenga on tonight after his big win at the Larkin Awards. So uh, very exciting. Oh, yeah. Maybe the actor who plays Uhura will be there also. <laughs> tune in for that and tune in for the end of this episode. Our producer, Wendy Pretty, will tell you about what's happening next week on The Greatest Discovery. Take it away, Wendy. Greatest Discovery is an Uxbridge Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It's hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica, and it's produced and edited by Wendy Pretty. Usually, I like to let you know what's coming up next week on the show here in the credits, but I'm taking next week off, so it's going to be a surprise for everyone. Come back on Tuesday to see what Ben and Adam can pull together. It's definitely going to be good, and it might even be great. As always, we want to thank Adam Ragusia for all the original music that we use on this show. He's got a podcast and a YouTube cooking channel. You can find those and get subscribed by searching for Adam Ragusia. Thanks also to Bill Tilly. He manages the social media for Uxbridge Shimoda. Use the hashtag Greatest Discovery to talk about the show online and make sure you're following at Greatest Trek on Instagram and Twitter. I hope you enjoyed this year's strange new Larkin Awards. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with more of The Greatest Discovery. I guess we can't make jokes about waffles. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.